0: Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 262, Thank You and Beyond. Monday, November 23rd, 2020. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. Each time I record a podcast, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarns at yinhu.com. I also keep quite detailed notes about my knitting projects on Ravelry, and you can find me as Sarah Pomegranate there. Today's episode includes the following segments, the back porch, ever-expanding skill set, and so forth, and finally, off the shelf. The Yarns at Yin podcast is brought to you thanks to listeners who make purchases of my patterns and designs on Ravelry. I'm so appreciative for your purchases, and I'm very excited that the next installment of the Women Who Run With the Wolves collection is coming out on December 20th. It's a design for a colorwork hat With moon phases. My test knitters are working on this design right now, and I'm going to be posting some sneak peeks of their projects on Instagram in the coming days. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. It's very early Monday morning at the Castle Inn in Delaware Water Gap, and I'm taking some time to get this recording in before my virtual school starts at 8 a.m. We are continuing with virtual Mondays uh, at the public high school where I teach and continuing with our hybrid schedule. This week is Thanksgiving week here in the United States. I've been thinking a lot about gratitude. This past week, I attended a webinar. The topic had to do with gratitude and really going beyond thank you. To understand the health benefits of gratitude and what exactly is happening when we feel grateful, and how to think about that more deeply and understand what's going on, what's going on with the person to whom you feel grateful, and what's going on with ourselves and within our own bodies. It was very interesting, and not long after that, I passed a colleague in the hall who complimented my my duster, my Cambria duster and said, "Oh, cool jacket." And normally I would say, "Thank you," and keep moving, especially these days. Folks don't stop too much in the hall for conversation. But I thought about the webinar and I thought about the things the facilitator had said and the exercises we had gone through. And instead I said, thank you. You know, I make my own clothing. So that really means a lot. And he didn't say anything else, but we had like a eye contact visual exchange. And I really felt like I had taken advantage of the moment to make my gratitude when someone compliments me on what I'm wearing, it's not just complimenting a, a collection of choices that I've made. It's complimenting my skills, my taste, um, my ability to work with materials. So it means a lot. And just saying thank you doesn't really cover it. And I'm trying to keep that with me this month um, and maybe take action in ways that help me express my gratitude more fully. It certainly felt, it was difficult, but it certainly felt better to say that than to just say thank you and move on. Because in my head, there's so much more to say. I wanted to say about 20 million things about making the Cambria duster. (laughs) But I contented myself with expressing what that means to me because I make my own clothing. And I suppose I've also been feeling like our exchanges in most cases are severely limited and so... When we have an exchange of communication with another person, it's important to do simple things to really make the most of that. I think I might have a lot more to say on this topic, but I'll keep it uh, to those thoughts for now. Before I get to the rest of the episode, I want to give a special shout out to Lorna, Lorna is Joy of Chicks on Ravelry. She hails from Aberdeenshire, Scotland, and she is my swap partner for a little swap hosted by Louise of the Caithness Craft Collective. I've participated in very few swaps before. I don't think I've done anything around the holidays, but. I heard her talking about it on her podcast, and I just thought it would be interesting. It's, it's low-key. It's not about a lot of financial investment. It's more about simple gifts. And Lorna and I have already had a delightful exchange of emails and learning a little bit about one another and the places where we live My package to her is all ready, it's all bundled up, and I'm going to put it in the post today. And I'm really looking forward to her reaction to the things that I sent along. So hey, Lorna, thanks for tuning in. The Back Porch. This weekend, I completed all of the knitting and finishing on my Bressa sweater. So this is the last, you're probably rejoicing, this is the last that you'll hear me talk about working on this very long-term project. This is the fifth design I have knit from Marie Wallen's book, Shetland. It's a 2017 collection, so one of her older ones she's come out with a lot of things since but I really love the the things in this book and I just keep going back to it so I've knit two sweaters this Bressa and Yell I've also knit a tam fingerless mitts and a cowl Bressa is a colorwork yoke sweater And the yoke extends to the sleeves and a portion of the body. I decided to knit a cropped version. And I also reverse engineered it to knit from the top down. I used Marie Wellen's British Breeds yarn. Both the pattern book and the British Breeds yarn were purchases from the Woolly Thistle. Marybeth was so wonderful in spotting me on two colors that uh, I needed to replenish. I just needed yards of each color, so that was really a great save, and I was able to finish the color work a while back. And then I worked on the alterations that I made to kind of bring this sweater into a contemporary look. Which is a cropped length, a split hem, and then for the sleeves, I knit plain stockinette to just past the elbow, and then the entire forearm is knit in one-by-one rib. I am very, very pleased with this sweater. The way I'm wearing it is to layer over sleeveless tunics and dresses. It's, it's warm, but it's not exceedingly so. And I think wearing it over something sleeveless makes it a little more bearable. Um, sometimes a wool sweater with long sleeves feels a little overly warm to me indoors, but I've been wearing this for two days now ever since I finished it and for the most part I'm pretty comfortable in the sweater the colors are just beautiful it's really the colors make this my favorite uh, aspect of the sweater because it's lots of pinks and browns and then the solid color is a beautiful deep mulberry I just adore it. This is much closer fitting than the other things I've made um, in color work and certainly the other Marie Wallen sweaters. I've also knit Lovage, um, which to my knowledge is not part of any particular book. It's a standalone pattern. Um, So Lovage, Yell, and now Bressa. I'm going to enjoy wearing this all winter long, and I keep very detailed notes about this and the process of knitting it from the top down on um, my projects in Ravelry. So if you're interested, I would suggest that you look there. I also have detailed notes about my color changes and the choices that I made there. Ever-expanding skill set. In my previous episode, I talked about my fantasies involving an acorn squash with a custard filling baked inside. And last night, Samuel and I collaborated to make this dish, and it completely lived up to my expectations. I will link the recipe in the show notes. It's from Food and Wine magazine. I think the recipe is good, but it's also something that you could riff on to your heart's content. We had only one large acorn squash, so I halved the recipe. And it involves cutting the acorn squash in half, coating it with olive oil, adding some salt, pepper, and chopped sage. I happen to have some sage in my potted garden and it's pretty hardy. even though we've had a few frosts. The sage usually lasts through Thanksgiving and so I can add some sage to my turkey gravy. Um, So I chopped up some of that and the squash bakes until it's pretty much done. Then you whisk together cream, coconut milk, egg yolks, sugar and add that to the cavity of the acorn squash and then you bake it some more the recipe recommends drizzling with browned butter but I had some cider syrup and that turned out amazing to drizzle that over the top. One thing that's very important for this recipe, which I think would be a a really excellent one for a Thanksgiving menu, is to just be very, very certain that you've cut off just a little bit of your acorn squash enough to get it to sit level on your baking sheet, because That will determine whether or not you can completely fill the cavity with your custard filling. If the acorn squash isn't sitting level, you won't be able to fill the cavity and you want as much of that delicious custard in there as you possibly can. So once again, this was acorn squash with coconut custard. I I guess I saw it initially on an Instagram post, but it's a food and wine recipe and I highly recommend it. And so forth. Unfortunately, The pandemic has meant I have not been able to gather with two very special podcasting friends for a retreat. In early November, we've had a tradition of taking a retreat and working on projects together. Last uh, November, Emily led Sarah and I in making our first pair of jeans and so to keep ourselves from feeling too much disappointment, we planned some Sunday mornings together in November so that we could do some stitching projects. Last weekend, I shared with Sarah and Emily some shisha techniques that I had learned in a class from Tatter, and they are already very accomplished embroiderers and stitchers so it was really just a matter of teaching them some bezel techniques and the whole process of layering and putting together a shisha pendant or ornament and immediately of course they brought their own very creative ideas to what I was sharing with them and just kind of like went on their way of making some of these ornaments. I actually got a lot of ideas from them. And I think um, it's it's a tradition of mine to hand stitch or or knit some special ornaments to give out for the holidays. And I think this year I will be working on shisha embroidery ornaments. This past weekend, Sarah shared with Emily and I some techniques for sewing a traditional marshma, which is a Sami-style sewing kit. It rolls up, um, and it's traditionally decorated with lots of embroidery and embellishments. Sarah has made one of these, I think she might be making a second one or maybe she's already finished a second one. So she had samples and she had already made some alterations to the design. She sent us patterns and it was so special that she sent us cut out felt applique pieces With moon phases, animals, all kinds of botanicals, and more graphic kinds of designs that are a little less literal. Um, But she sent us all of these things that we could applique to our marsima. And then on Sunday morning, she taught us some techniques for doing that. And we talked about. I guess the trajectory of putting the whole kit together, which is a very long-term project because it's a lot of handwork. And I think it's also very special, so there isn't a lot of cause to rush this process. So I I posted on Instagram, but I will also share in the show notes for this episode the pocket of my Marsma, which has moon phases And my totem uh, heron, because my spirit animal, is the great blue heron. I just love watching them, and we have several who visit the creek uh, just below our home. We have a full view of that area from our porch. So I've logged many, many hours watching the heron, and it always just seems very special to me when I see one anywhere and so I've I finished the embroidery of that pocket and now my next step is to finalize the layout for the big piece of felt fabric that creates the outside of this sewing pouch and to start stitching those on. So, I, I'm very grateful to Sarah for sharing those materials and her expertise. And also, it's just so much more fun to be making this along with Emily, and we're both, you know, working on the process of figuring things out together along the way. I haven't been doing much uh, machine sewing for quite a while. I do have some mending to do. But I've been working uh, steadily on my Alabama Channon reverse applique dress. I am nearing the end of my third spool of thread, and so I really need to make a stop at Joanne's for some more button thread in order to be able to continue my work on this project. And finally, off the shelf, I want to make a recommendation to you. And this is for the Tatter Journal. I'm frequently talking about things related to Tatter on this podcast. That's because it's just such an excellent resource. And I know a lot about it from my dear friend Allison, who works very hard at all of the offerings of Tatter. I've talked before about the classes. These are really just a wide array of things having to do with the textile arts, and they're accessible now to anyone, anywhere. So I encourage you to take a look at their course selections and see... If there's something coming up that would interest you. There's a class for hand-stitched sachets on December 5th. That I think many of you might be interested in. So check out their offerings. And make sure you subscribe. Because the latest thing from Tatter is a quarterly journal. And issue 1 has the theme of Isolation. It's incredibly beautiful, thoughtful, with very high quality, engaging images. Jordana Monk Martin of Tatter is the editor in chief, and I just want to share a bit from her introduction to the first issue. What can cloth teach us about isolation? What can isolation teach us about cloth? What would isolation look like if it were a material? As we endeavored to connect the two, we asked a group of makers about their time in quarantine. We found that same spectrum of response. Solitude can be destabilizing. At times it was clarifying. Artistic practices became life-sustaining companions, filling the day. One thing is certain, the world of makers can find in their studios artfully soldiers on. Our world's rupture is being beautifully and visibly mended. A claim of existence surges through looms and fingers." If you're looking for something beautiful and engaging and thought-provoking, I recommend flipping through the digital pages of this issue, and I look forward to each issue that's coming because I think this is going to be a really sustaining force and something to look forward to each quarter. Finally, I'd like to share a poem with you. I've come across a new-to-me poem by my very favorite poet, Naomi Shihab Nye. It's called In Transit, and I thought it was incredibly appropriate for our upcoming holiday season, which is about to be delivered to us by mail. (laughs) I think a lot of us have been... Spending time preoccupied with shipping, packages, delivery dates, and that kind of thing. So in that spirit, I offer up In Transit by Naomi Shihab Nye. I mailed a package to myself. It never arrived. Months later, wondering what it contained. The package was oversized. I paid extra. Mailed it from a place under trees. Surely, shade and sunlight was in the package. Mailed it from a place compassionate to refugees. Unopened envelopes inside the package. Poems from kind students hoping for response. How do we answer without knowing who they were Or what they said. This is why you must smile at everyone, living and dead, everywhere you go. You have no idea what has been lost in transit.